The Silence, written and read by Lisa Osmond. As the siren sounded, the Londoners calmly descended into their makeshift bomb shelters. Nine months we'd endured the Blitz, and for the lucky ones that had survived, the regular meet-up started to become part of everyday life. Our pitch was pretty much the same every time. There was sadness when a family who had become our underground neighbours didn't show up. Prayers were said, and then, in the great British tradition, we carried on regardless trying to put aside the horrors of the war. Human spirit triumphed. We became a community, all for one and one for all. As a young lad of eight, the thought of descending the steep concrete stairs into Aldwych Underground excited me. Maybe it was my Narnia. Unfolding my blanket, inside would be my standard evacuation supplies. The Beano and Dandy comics model spitfire and a quarter of cola bottles, if lucky enough to get hold of them, of course. It wasn't all about sleeping. There were so many sights to take in, just like going to a summer fair, minus the cool breeze of the evening. Singers, dancers, groups that form from mutual interests, there was something for everyone. I made friends and we played under the watchful eye of the home guard. I wonder now whether we were more of a hindrance than the Jerry's to them. Inquisitive and mischievous didn't stop just because we were so many hundred feet underground. My brother Tom was a soldier fighting on the front line. Mum never cried in front of me, but I could feel a sadness. For some like her, these times were harder. I can't imagine what she must have been going through. I suspect throughout those years she went through every emotion internally, fighting her own battles, praying, counting down the days until she could have her Tom home, her family back together. Somehow I was mindful of her struggles, so when I was out of sight, I needed to be an eight-year-old boy in whatever guise it came in. For me, it was adventure, exploring the unknown, breaking a few rules. Mickey and I nicknamed ourselves the Mickey Green Boys. There was nothing ingenious in the making of us. A forename and my surname made up our gang. Well, the two of us anyway. Ironically, having more time to play underground, and didn't we let our imagination run wild? Just to paint a picture, nearly every inch of floor space was occupied, so we really did have to think outside the box. Sometimes we would imagine ourselves a spy sat amongst the crowds, listening for cold words. Other times we would play hide-and-seek or pretend we were the Dawson brothers, juggling anything that was small enough, much to the dismay of the others that were trying to get a good night's sleep. The black abyss of the tunnels was occupied up to a point, but beyond that was darkness and the chilling wind that whistled relentlessly, normally masked by the thundering of the trains passing through them. To some, going further in evoked fear, but for Mickey and myself, it meant freedom, space, adventure. How we imagined playing there, 
We talk for hours about the dens we could make and what creatures of the night we may encounter. But there was one thing standing in our way. Jimmy Bevan. Joining the Home Guard was bittersweet for Jimmy. Having not passed the military medicals, his only option to contribute to the war was to join the Home Guard. Although very dedicated to the cause, some may have said a bit of a job's worth, he did carry a huge chip on his shoulder, especially venting his frustration towards me, Tom's little brother. I think he took great pleasure in trying to suck the fun out of everything we did. There was no way we were getting past Jimmy Bevan. Well, not in the conventional way anyway. The weak fall but the strong remain and never go under. I read this quote much later in life whilst reading the diary of Anne Frank. We had been under attack from Germany for about three months. But December 29th, 1940, bombings were like none we had seen. Afterwards, it was nicknamed the Second Great Fire of London, as the area destroyed was greater than the Great Fire of London. The raid destroyed many of our iconic buildings, but St Paul's Cathedral stood defiant and was left unscathed. The atmosphere underground was tense, nothing like I had felt before. Laughter, music and general hustle and bustle was replaced by quiet murmurings, overshadowed by the tearing sound of the fighter jet and the almighty booms. This time, I could see the fear on people's faces. It was my parents' turn to help make the teas. If anything could help ease the nerves, it was a nice cuppa. Mum was always at her most productive when busy. You could see where Tom had got his leadership skills from. Dad and I, on the other hand, were quite happy in the background. Not the most commendable skills, but a skill nonetheless. It was the aforementioned skill that was pinnacle in getting us into the tunnel. That's what I remember at least. It seemed inappropriate to play our normal games, so it came as a shock that of all days the entrance to the tunnel was unmanned. Jimmy was normally like a Rottweiler marking his territory, but not this time. He wasn't far away, and every now and again you could see him glance over, but his attention was taken by a young woman who was sobbing and seemed to be in much distress. At the time, my head was filled with this being the opportune moment that we'd been looking for, but did not take a moment to give regard to the young woman and her sorrow. Stealth-like, Mickey and myself slowly edged our way closer to the arched entrance. It was our very own war game. With my heart now pounding out of my chest, the enemy line was nearly in our sights, and then we heard it, the almost banshee-like cry of Jimmy telling us to halt. Did we? No. Should we have? Yes. But hindsight is a remarkable gift, one that has eluded me. We were ten yards or so away, and between us and the entrance were bodies of people, and Jimmy Bevan running towards us like a scene out of the film, The Charge of the Light Brigade. It was now or never. We weren't going to get this opportunity again. We couldn't turn back. In distance, it wasn't far. But, in reality, it was going to take a ruddy miracle, manoeuvring through all those bodies of people to get to the tunnel before Jimmy. And then it happened. He would have caught us for sure, 
for at that very moment the underground shook where a bomb had landed near to the entrance. There was panic, and amongst all the commotion we took our opportunity and ran. Before we knew it, we had run so far into the tunnel that hysteria was a distant whisper. Eventually we stopped, falling to the ground. At first, listening to what might be footsteps following us. But no one came. We were free. As an adult, I can now understand that I should have been thinking about my parents' welfare and the worry that would have come over them once the bomb had gone off and they couldn't find us. Instead, my head was filled with discovery and adventure. After a while, now certain the coast was clear, Mickey turned his torch on. It was a concrete tunnel with tram lines and that is about as descriptive as it gets. But we weren't interested in the scenery. We had made it. We had chartered unknown territory. Can't remember how long we were in there. Mickey came up with a brilliant idea of making arrows using monkey nut shells, pointing to the direction we came from. Our imaginations run wild and we played like we had never done so before. It was our bellies that finally got the better of us and hoping that it wasn't too late for supper, we headed back in the direction we came from. The walk back was far less hectic than before and we tried to scare each other telling ghost stories. And when we were bored of that, promised each other we would swap cigarette cards. As the light from the platform appeared in the distance, Mickey turned the torch off, both apprehensive now to what might be waiting for us once we entered the other side. As we approached, we stopped and listened. Had we been in there for so long that everybody had fallen asleep? It didn't seem like we were in there that long. The eerie silence unnerved us. Was it a trick? Was Jimmy going to jump out on us at any moment we stepped back in? You know, to teach us a lesson? All these thoughts were running through my mind. Looking at each other for guidance, there was nothing else to do but to take whatever punishment was waiting for us. With reluctant steps and deep breaths, we re-entered the station and stopped. Where had everybody gone? Standing at the edge of the tunnel, my legs suddenly felt like they were set in concrete slabs. My whole body felt heavy. I turned to talk to Mickey, but he was nowhere to be seen. Mickey, I yelled. Stop messing around. I don't want to play hide and seek anymore. There was no reply. What should I do? Had he gone back into the tunnel, I thought? Should I go and find him? My head was spinning. Trying to pull myself together, I wonder what my brother would do in this situation. After all, he was the bravest person I knew. Don't you dare cry, I told myself. My pet talk was marginally helpful. With a deep breath, I climbed back onto the platform. We had left running amuck in the total chaos and now there was, well, nothing. Only an eerie silence. 
Mickey and I had always wondered what it would be like to be the only ones playing down in the station. We both had exceptional imaginations. The littlest of things would become an adventure when we were together. Like the time we found an empty sardine tin. Mickey decided that it was now a pirate ship that had travelled the seven seas. They were kind pirates, of course, but any jerrys they found in open water would definitely walk the plank. I guess we were time-travelling pirates? Reminiscing was clearly not the most helpful thing to do. Suddenly a wave of sadness shrouded me. I didn't want to feel scared. I wanted to be happy playing pirate ships. I wanted my mum. Mum? Mum? Mum, where are you? Mum, I'm scared. I called out for a few minutes whilst aimlessly walking my way up and down the desolate platform. The heaviness of my body started to make its way up to my hip joints. Walking was starting to become a struggle. I sat down. I needed to rest, gather my thoughts. I closed my eyes and imagined the time Mum, Dad, Tom and I went to Brighton for the day. We played on the pier and spent all our pocket money in the penny arcades, then devoured a cone of chips and an oyster ice cream cone drizzled with lashings of raspberry sauce. I remember my belly being full, but having to run away from Mum when she got the dreaded hanky out to clean our faces. We laughed so much our bellies ached for the whole week. I recalled the train journey home, all of us cuddled up in the carriage, Mum gently rubbing my head and singing to me, Show me the way to go home. With a quiver, I started to sing. I imagined being tightly tucked into her, the softness of her voice then a kiss on my forehead. All at once my trance had been broken. The warm moisture that I felt on my skin was as if my mother had really kissed me. Had a droplet of water fallen? Then immediately an echo travelled down from the steps of the underground. It was a woman's voice singing, the very same song. No, it wasn't a stranger's voice. It was my mother's. With all my strength, I pulled myself up using the railing, starting my ascent to the concrete steps. It was now a necessity that my legs needed an extra bit of help, and using the strength I had in the top half of my body, lifted them onto each of the concrete boulders. Least, that's how it felt. The closer I got to the top, the singing became louder, the angelic tones spurring me on. I awoke in a hospital bed. Well, half of me did anyway. Whilst I was running into the tunnel, Mickey and I were caught by the aftermath of a bomb which created a huge crater in the street above. The devastation penetrated right down into the platform, killing over a hundred people. Mickey being one of those. Turns out Jimmy Bevan was a hero after all. He hadn't been yelling to stop us from entering the tunnel, Rather, he could see my fate before I could. The story goes that Jimmy pulled me out from under a pipe that had collapsed from the explosion. Mickey had taken the full force. He was barely recognisable. I was in a coma for a month. I had both my legs amputated and this led me to contracting sepsis. I haven't dreamt since. I survived the bombing, but the silence... The silence still haunts me.